Happy birthday to you. Hey, what's going on everybody? The ADA just had its 30th birthday. That's right, you heard correct. 30 years, 30 years of the ADA. Now to bring the ADA happy birthday celebrations to a close, United on Wheels has a special treat for you. Today we are joined by former Senator Tom Harkin, CEO and President of United Spinal Association, Jim Weissman, Alex Benowith, Paul Amadeus Lane, Angie Hosebus. All those aforementioned names are all major activists and they are making that change. And nothing made changes like the ADA. And few people were as close to the ADA as Senator Tom Harkin. Let's listen in. Nice to meet you, Senator. Thank you so much for joining. Good to be with you. Absolutely. That's great. Um, so really happy to get started. Why don't I I'll briefly introduce myself and introduce all the panelists and look forward to a really good discussion. So thank you, Senator. Um, I'm Alex Benowitz, Vice President of Government Relations for United Spinal Association. Um, and really happy to see you, Senator. I know um, you were our inaugural Senate recipient for our Disability Champion uh, Leadership Award um, that we had when we did our first uh, role on Capitol Hill back in 2012. I don't know if you remember that, but I remember it was in the Cannon Caucus Room uh, and we had a really great attendance. <laughs> um, so thank you. Um, so I'm going to briefly introduce um, everyone. So why don't we go into it? So also Jim Wiseman, James Wiseman was general counsel for United Spinal Association for over 40 years and became president and CEO in July 2015. Uh, Wiseman is a recognized expert on disability rights. He has led efforts on public transit and taxicab accessibility in New York City and other major cities. Wiseman was a key negotiator with Congress in drafting and achieving the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act with certain individuals in the Senate. <laughs> um, and also transportation provisions in the law. In July 1995, he became a founding member of the American Association of People with Disabilities Board of Directors. And you just had your last Board of Directors meeting with APD, Jim. Earlier today. <laughs> earlier today, I retired. Um, 25 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, so that was, and in 2003, you were elected board chair of APD's uh, board of directors. He earned his law degree from Seton Hall University Law School and is routinely consulted by disabled people, um, advocates, attorneys, employers, and transit operators who wish to employ or provide services to people with disabilities. So um, thank you, Jim. This is going to be a good discussion. Um, over to the senator. The senator, it's going to take, Senator Harkin, it's going to take me a while to read your bias. I'm not going to read the whole thing <laughs> so we can get on to the conversation. But um, you were elected to Congress in 1974. Uh, you got over to the Senate in 1984. Um, and you retired from the Senate in 2015. You were chairman of the, the powerful Senate Health Committee. And thank you for your role in helping with the passage of the ACA, another critical issue for the disability community. Um, and there's lots more here. I, I'm sure we'll get to it in the discussion. But uh, thank you so much for being here and your leadership 
for all these years and your continued leadership. Um, okay, so on to our advocates that will be asking you questions as well, Senator. Um, Paul Amadeus Lane is a journalist, a broadcaster. He's an ambassador for Abilities Expo. He's an accessibility consultant for Sony PS4. He's a member of United Final Tech Access Group. And he's from Inland, California. And I think you told me, Paul, you have four different radio shows, which is amazing. It's on technology and disability and entertainment. He does our United on Wheels podcast, which he does a great job on, the senator. Um, and Angie is our wonderful president from our Iowa chapter, and I know you've met her. Um, she, you were Miss Wheelchair Iowa in 2009. Um, she's also our regional um, chapter coordinator for the North Central region. And interestingly for this discussion, Angie, you were seven years old when the ADA was passed. So it will be really interesting to hear your thoughts about it as we go along. So with that, I'm going to step back, guys. I want you to all to have a nice conversation. We have some lots of good stuff to talk about. And I'm going to hand it over to Jim. Thanks, Alex. And thanks, everybody, yep. for uh, participating. Thanks, Senator Harkin. Thanks, Angie. Thank, thank you, Paul. Um, I, 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 I wanted to start by saying that there is probably nobody uh, that we can associate with the civil rights of people with disabilities that's a bigger name, a bigger presence, a big, has had a bigger effect than Senator Harkin. But also, having known him for all these years, I should tell you that he is about the most real, down-to-earth politician I have ever spoken to. No BS. If he can do it, he'll tell you. If he can't do it, he'll tell you. If he agrees, he'll tell you. And if he doesn't agree, he definitely lets you know why. So he's a very straight shooter and one of the easiest people to work with for that reason. But I wanted to say that when we got to Washington in 88 and 89 to do, because I was in New York, to do, to do uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, I felt like I had been doing this advocacy. We had made transit give up in New York. We had made transit give up in Philadelphia. I felt like we'd been doing this advocacy and that Washington was now ready for us. And when I got there, it was exactly the same as it was in 1975 or 70 when I spoke to Congress. So I, I, it was all about re-educating or educating them and debunking disability. And I was wondering, Senator, if you could tell us your story about, because you obviously pushed this across the finish line, but somebody had to start it too. What was it like to start it and to try to get ahead of steam up and convince your colleagues? Well, Jim, first of all, uh, Thank you for all of your work through all these years. It's been a great, a great friendship between the two of us for all these years. Thank you, Senator. I've admired everything you've done and continue to do. I, uh, uh, it's, it's hard to believe 30 years has passed. Of course, I look at my gray hair and I guess I realize that 30 years has passed. <laughs> Don't look at it. I haven't had a haircut since February. 
I might start putting it up in a ponytail here pretty soon. I don't know. But, you know, looking back, you know, I want to correct one thing. A lot of people refer to me as the author of the Americans with Disabilities Act. I always try to correct that. I say, no, I'm not. I was the sponsor of it. I got that. I sponsored it. I drafted a lot of the language and stuff like that. I got that. The author were the thousands and thousands of persons with disabilities who over the years marched, uh, sometimes placed themselves under the wheels of Greyhound buses so the buses couldn't move, showing that they were not accessible, who chained themselves uh, uh, across Constitution Avenue one time in Washington, D.C. and stopped all the traffic, uh, uh, who crawled up the Capitol steps to show that's the only way they could get into the Capitol. Uh, all of the uh, nonviolent uh, 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 protests through all these years, focusing the public attention on how, how uh, society was not built correctly that society needed to change in order to accommodate everyone, everyone. And so I always say they're the authors, the, the Judy Humans and the, and the Ed Roberts and the Justin Darts, the Bob Kafkas, the, uh, Pat Wrights, Jim Weissmans, those that, who just did all the work. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And I picked it up, you know, I started in the house focused very narrowly only on deafness because of my brother who was deaf. And so early on in the house, uh, that's, that was sort of my, the limits of my thoughts about disability uh, exclusion. And so I was very involved in, in uh, I, Senator Jennings Randolph from West Virginia and I, when I was a congressman, delivered the first box, the decoder box for closed captioning to President Jimmy Carter in the White House. And then I was involved in setting up the uh, National Captioning Institute. Well, about that time, my nephew, Kelly, my sister's boy, uh, got injured. And, uh, and uh, he was in the military. He got injured very badly, uh, became severely paraplegic, Spinal, he, he, if you want to know, he was sucked down a jet engine on an aircraft carrier. Imagine that. And, but he had his helmet on, so it broke his neck. And um, so he be, became very severely paraplegic, although he got the use of his hands back. That was pretty good. Well, I remember one time, and then Kelly wanted to use the GI Bill to go to college. He was only 19 years old. Uh, one time he called me up. He was at Colorado State University in Fort Collins, Colorado, where they lived. And he says, Uncle Tom, he said, I need some help. And what is it, Kelly? Well, he said, I, I'm here, I want to go to school. There's a class I want to take. It's on the second floor of this building. There's no elevator, and they won't let me take the class. I said, this is, this is crazy. This is nuts. So I went out to Colorado to see my family, my sister and the family. And then all of a sudden it just got home to me. He couldn't even go to a restaurant. He couldn't even get across the street. His father, who was 
very good with, with carpentry and stuff, was able to widen the door of his house and put in a ramp and make the bathroom so he could get in. All of a sudden, the scales fall from my eyes. It's not just deafness, it's mobility also. It's the physical barriers that are out there. Wow. So little bit by little bit, I begin to expand my views on the exclusion of all persons with disabilities in our society. Uh, and by the time I got to the Senate, uh, I got to be chair of the Disability Policy Subcommittee in the Senate. Uh, and I was not, by the way, I was not the first person to introduce the Americans with Disabilities Act. It was Lowell Weicker in the Senate uh, from, from uh, Connecticut. He was Republican. And I was a Democrat. I was his chief co-sponsor. Then in the House, it was Tony Coelho, Major Owens from New York, um, Steve Bartlett, Steny Hoyer. Uh, but then Lowell Weicker got defeated. Tony Quayle had to leave the House. And so we came back in, and then I picked it up, and I became the chief sponsor of the ADA, which later became law. So that's, that's sort of how it all transpired. It wasn't easy at first. We had to have hearings. Uh, there were a lot of naysayers. Uh, there were people like Jesse Helms, who, <laughs> I, I want to ask Jim, were you part of the group that chained themselves around Jesse Helms' office one day? I don't know if you were in No, I was not chained to Jesse Helms' office, but his <laughs> opposition to the ADA was remarkable. He amended it in such a silly way. It's still there as a testament to him about all the sexual identity disorders and I know. kleptomania and yeah. it's a very silly amendment. But we did beat him on the AIDS issue. You know, he was opposed to the AIDS. We, 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 we won that one. Uh, but, uh, but some of that stuff is still there. But I had Dave Durenberger, a senator from Minnesota, Republican, was my chief co-sponsor. We always had Bob Dole as sort of the hammer on Republicans, <laughs> uh, making sure that uh, they didn't go too far off the reservation. Uh, John McCain was a great supporter all along. Um, uh, Orrin Hatch from Utah became a great supporter. So we had a good bipartisan group there. Um, but the, and, and, and we decided, we being those of us in the Senate and the House, decided we would go first in the Senate. Because I was chair, I had the support of Senator Kennedy, uh, who was chair of the full committee. Uh, we didn't have to parcel it out, so I was able to have the hearings, mark it up, and we got it through the Senate. Uh, by September of 89, but then it went to the House, and the House sent it to like five different committees and several different subcommittees. One committee chairman, a Democrat, was absolutely opposed to it, and so it just sat there all winter long. And we wanted to get it out and get it done before the next election. So by next March, we were getting pretty frantic. And then an interesting thing happened. Uh, Bob Kafka, you know Bob from ADAPT. Uh, Bob called in the morning and said, we're going to help you get that bill out of the house. Well, when Bob Kafka says things like that, you kind of wonder, 
what's he going to do now? Because he's been arrested over 30 times. <laughs> and, and so that afternoon, Bob's so smart. He called up all the press and he said, there'll be the biggest demonstration ever by people with disabilities, hundreds and hundreds. We're going to have this, all these people at the Capitol this afternoon. You want to be there. So all the press came and I think there were like 12 or 15 people using wheelchairs and all the press is there. They're saying, where's the demonstration? Well, on a certain verbal command, everybody fell out of their wheelchairs and crawled up the Capitol steps. I think that was March 9th, if I'm not mistaken. I could be off a day uh, in, 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 in 1990. Well, the police came, police came, tried to stop them. There was this little girl, Jennifer Heelan, eight years old, and all the cameras are running, and the police wanted to stop her, and she said, why don't you arrest that man there? And there was a guy walking up the steps. And the police said, well, he's just going in the Capitol. And she said, well, this is the only way I can get in. Wow. That made all the evening news. In fact, I just learned recently from someone who was interviewing me, it made all the armed forces networks overseas, watching that overseas. And, and it made a huge impact on the House of Representatives. Within about three weeks, we had the bill out of the House. And then we were able to work out a few differences and uh, get it passed to get it signed by July 26th of 1990. I didn't mean to go on so long, but. But that very day was the day that the House the person you were referring to dropped his opposition to lifts on buses. Yeah. You know, the, 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 a lot happened, a lot happened. I'd like to, um, turn it over to uh, Paul Amadeus Lane, our uh, broadcast friend from California. Go ahead, Paul. Uh, Senator Harkin, it's a, it's an honor to to meet you. And when the ADA got passed in the law, it was three years before my automobile accident that left me a quadriplegic. So when I first got injured, I you know I knew a little bit about the ADA, but not as much until after I was injured. And before my accident, I was an emergency medical technician. So I did emergency calls with people who were quadriplegic, people who were in a catastrophic accident. And it wasn't until I became one myself that I really understood the struggle. And that being said, uh, Senator, when you look at your personal contact with your brother, with your nephew, and their disabilities, how did that guide you and mold you in your thinking uh, to really be a champion for us? Well, you know, especially in terms of my nephew, Kelly. Um, see, I'd been a Navy pilot, and I flew off aircraft carriers. And Kelly always, and once, once he visited me at my base in, in, in California, and he got in the cockpit and all that kind of stuff. And so he wanted to be a Navy guy. I tried to say, go to college first. And he said, no, he wanted out of high school. He wanted to go in. The, so he went to work on a carrier on the deck and that's where the accident happened. He was a big kid, big Irish kid, Kelly McQuaid, <laughs> big Irish kid. And, uh, and it just brought home to me, this can happen to any of us at any moment in time. So I began to think about, you know, 
we are all temporarily abled. We can become disabled any, any, at any moment in time through any, any kind of system, any kind of um, So that, that really got me thinking about how, how most people don't think about this, but that we've got to understand that, that a broad civil rights bill like this is for everybody. It's for everybody. So that, that kind of, when that happened, that really got me thinking about it. I had thought more about in the past about discrimination on my brother and not being able to find work and that kind of thing. But I hadn't thought about just how it can happen in a split second, like your car accident. And, uh, and so that led me also to think that I got to thinking more that, you know, for eons past, um, people with disabilities were looked upon as less than whole people. They were looked upon as, you know, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> You've got to be fixed. And if you can't be fixed, we'll isolate you. Um, uh, but really, I got to thinking that's not it at all. What it is, is that we have built an environment that is not accessible to everyone. And as we moved ahead, Paul, as you know, we, we found that when you incorporate universal design, it not only helps a person with a disability, more often than not, it helps everybody. Especially as you get older, <laughs> it helps people. So, so I, that, that, that what happened to my nephew really, really got me thinking about the built environment and why it has to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. And, and you know at Center, um, you know, I look back uh, when I started my broadcasting career back in 2006, uh, my first job, if they didn't have elevators, if they didn't have bigger doors, I would never be in the workforce and I wouldn't never have the, the privilege of speaking with you. So the impact that you were able to do along with others, with Jim, I mean, it really impacts not only our lives, but the newer generation of ones who have disabilities as well. And we really, really appreciate that. I don't want to take too much of your time. I want to hand it over to your, to your constituent uh, from Iowa, uh, Angie Hulsbus, and uh, I'm sure she has some things she wants to uh, talk about too. I, I, don't want, I, don't want to, I don't want to take it to myself, Senator. <laughs> Thanks. Hi, Angie. Hi, I'm so happy to see you today. Um, so you been, I haven't seen you for a while. How I, I hope you've been well. You look wonderful. Thank you. It's been a long time. I, as Alex mentioned, when I got to meet you when I was Miss Wilcher, Iowa, I still remember that day. That was pretty awesome for me. So, um, also Alex mentioned that I was seven years old when um, the ADA was passed. So I don't really know the difference, like how the world was before the ADA. Um, I've been a PowerChair user now for almost 17 years. And of course the world does get more and more accessible as we, um, as the time goes on, obviously, as we advocate for ourselves and for others. Um, but with that being said, um, we, there's still a couple issues that we try to focus on here in Iowa. Um, we had hoped the ADA would have 
maybe fix some of the challenges regarding um, employment, of course, um, I know you're working on that. Um, but up until the impact of COVID this year, the unemployment rate for people with disabilities um, was consistently double that of people without disabilities. And of course, those rates have worsened since COVID. Um, another issue that Iowans face um, is ADA doesn't really directly um, address accessible housing. Um, there is a language, of course, for the public accommodations. Um, but just kind of an example that we hear a lot in Iowa, um, especially being the president of the Iowa chapter, we get a lot of phone calls. Um, we have several people that have to live in nursing homes mm -hmm. merely because that is the only accessible place that they can live. Um, there are a few people that are fortunate enough. They bought land, they built their own house, which is awesome, but obviously not a solution for the majority. Um, so I guess I was just wondering your thoughts on both of these issues. And if you have suggestions on how we can be better here locally or nationally with uh, employment and accessible housing. Well, Angie, thanks. Uh, you know, um, when I retired from the Senate, I decided to focus my attention mm -hmm. on one aspect, and that was employment. Uh, in the 30 years, we have made, we've made some progress on participation. Uh, you know, there were four goals of the ADA, full participation, equal opportunity, independent living, economic self-sufficiency. On the first three, we've made some progress, but I'm going to get to the housing thing in just a second. But uh, as you said, the unemployment rate, and, and, and you can't just look at the unemployment rate. Look at the workforce participation rate. Uh, among adults with disabilities today, uh, the, the um, about 70% of adults with disabilities are not in the workforce. Now you say, well, that, that's not the unemployment rate. Well, the unemployment rate has to do with people who have worked and now are unemployed. <laughs> I'm talking about adults who have never been in the workplace, about 70%. It's just a blot on our national character. And so we have to do a better job. So I've decided to focus on employment and getting the private sector to do a better job of outreach, uh, getting human resources to do better jobs of uh, not only reaching into the disability community, but uh, hiring, training, and having training programs that is not just one size fits all, but training pro programs that are adaptable to different types of disabilities. Um, and then retaining uh, workers. And the key words I always use is competitive integrated employment. Not make work, not a quote, disability jobs hit away someplace, but I mean a job just like anybody else has with the same pay, same benefits, same retirement, same vacation, same everything, a competitive integrated employment. So to me that, that we've got to do a better job and because of COVID-19 now, two things on that, you mentioned a lot of people living in nursing homes. That's why so many people with disabilities are, are getting this coronavirus, are, are coming down with COVID-19, because they're living in places like that rather than having their own independent living status. So uh, as we come out of this, 
and we have employment and people start to get employed again, uh, one of the things we have to fight for is to make sure that people with disabilities are not last hired. In other words, if, if you're an employer and you had to lay off 100 people, don't hire 95 and then say, oh, well, now I got to look for someone who's disabled. <laughs> Put that in the front ranks. Put everybody up right on the front row uh, at the same time. Now, secondly, on housing. Now, you've touched on a good point, and I have been advocating a change, not in ADA, a change in our tax laws. Now, as you know, we in the ADA mandates that all buildings constructed in America be accessible. Um, so that's a good thing, but not houses. We were not able to put housing in the ADA. The um, real estate industry, realtors, the home builders, they, they would never stand for that. Well, okay. However, look at it this way. What is the biggest single support, uh, uh, support, uh, the biggest single benefit that accrues to a person who buys a home or condo? It's the deductibility of mortgage payments off of their taxes. <laughs> okay. Well, I got to thinking about this. You know, we, we, we use tax laws for all kinds of things. I'm proposing that in the future, we have a phase-in period of maybe four or five years, that after that point in time, any house, that includes condominiums also, condos, houses, uh, that, are, that any house built after that time that would qualify a buyer to be able to deduct the mortgage interest, that place would, that house or condo would have to be fully accessible. Well, people would start building them that way. Uh, and, uh, and so you use the tax code. And then for low-income people who haven't reached that, then you make maybe part of that uh, um, tax, the, the, the um, the um, if, if, if let's say a person wanted to buy that house and 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 yet they uh, they don't make enough money to actually get a tax deduction. Well, then you make part of it uh, a refundable tax deduction. I don't know if I can explain that. Weissman knows what I'm talking about. A tax credit. A tax credit for someone who would buy such a house but wouldn't be able to take care advantage of the, of the deduction because their income is not high enough. So then you make that a tax credit. So I'm, 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 I'm testing this with different people in the Senate. Uh, I've got a couple of senators interested in introducing that legislation and I'm hopeful before the Senate adjourns this year, I know we can't get it done this year, but I hope before it ends, before we close down, we will have a bill drafted to do just that, uh, to spur, to spur the building of more accessible housing in America. Thanks, Senator. You know, the Senator is such an advocate. Nobody knows this. When we were suing the New York City government to make taxis accessible, hmm. the Senator flew to New York 
Yeah. First of all, he wrote the mayor, which was Bloomberg at the time, yeah. and told him you're on the wrong side of this. I remember. To get on our side. I remember that. Yeah. Then the mayor didn't like that at all, which made it, it made it even better. Then he flew to New York, went to see the taxi and limousine commissioner of the city of New York and the mayor to convince them, no one knows, this is all behind the scenes advocacy for the senator that he did this. But it was an amazing thing because we needed mainstream important people to, to agree with us. When we have somebody like Michael Bloomberg disagreeing, people respect his opinion. We needed to, people to know that there is a challenge that Daily News actually, I think, printed your letter to the mayor too, I think. So it was, it was very, very helpful. I remember Bloomberg, could, he didn't quite get it. <laughs> he didn't quite get it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah. No. Um, and, and the funny thing is they spent all that time fighting with us and so did the yellow cabs and we, we won. And then Uber and the other ride shares destroyed their industry. They weren't paying attention to the real enemy. That's we were right. just customers. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, we were just customers. Well, Senator, if you'd like to say anything else, um, I know you, you, you're keeping busy with the Institute, um, and hopefully you're enjoying that fully in Iowa. <laughs> well, so um, but, um, matter of fact, maybe Angie could tell you we're, we're, we're building a new building. Uh, it should be finished maybe by, I hope by the end of this year, but this COVID-19 has slowed everything down, obviously. No. But yeah. it, I, I, I'm, I'm touting it as it will be the most accessible building in America for persons with disabilities. Not just physical disabilities, but cognitive disabilities, uh, learning disabilities, uh, people with, with autism or ADHD, uh, people have visual uh, uh, problems. Uh, uh, it'll just, be, it, 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 and it's gonna have, we, we've been working with Microsoft to get the latest and the best technology um, so that anyone with a disability can come in and access information or input information, do research, be an intern uh, at our institute. So we'll have the latest things like voice to text, text to voice. Uh, we will have uh, devices so that someone with quadriplegia uh, can use the eye uh, contact, yeah. Developed. You know, I don't know what the phrase is. Eye-based technology or whatever you, yeah, whatever it is, different, the different devices. That's wonderful. What What is the timing of that? We hope to have most of the technology and stuff in. I well, I hope early next year, sometime early next year. We would love to be invited to that <laughs> and promoted sure. to our. I'll tell to you our what, members, I'll, I'll work through Weissman and make sure you get invited, okay? <laughs> you know, some of the best friends I've made in my life, I made through working on ADA. One of them is Bobby uh, Silverstein, who, who was uh, Senator Harkin's point man on ADA. Um, Senator, could you just talk about Bobby's role in this for a minute? Oh, gosh. You know, it's... <laughs> Reminds me of stories. Uh, it reminds me a lot of stories. But 
there's so many unsung heroes in this whole thing about the ADA. And one is Bobby Silverstein, the work that he did. And when I said I did some of the drafting, come on, I didn't do it. Bobby Silverstein did it. <laughs> okay. Uh, when, well, when the truth is known. And, uh, and he was just the point person all the time. Uh, well, I could tell a lot of stories. Like at one time, uh, one, of the, one of the problems that we had in, in getting the bill together was all the different disability groups had their own silo. Spinal Cord Association, Deafness Community, National Federation of the Blind, Down Syndrome. I, everybody had their little silos. And they had worked hard over the years to, to advocate and, and, and ensure that their silos were not discounted or, or, or forgotten. I understood that. But I also understood if we were going to have a broad civil rights bill, we had to have everybody in. And we had a hard time doing that. So one day, I asked Bobby and others, Pat Wright, remember Pat Wright, uh, Jim, maybe? We got them all, he said, get all of these groups together. And they met in, in, my, in this big uh, meeting room in the Longworth building in, in the Senate side. And it was like about four in the afternoon. And they, all these groups were there. And I came in. And I put on a little show. <laughs> I said, I was really mad. I said, you know, look, we've worked hard. We're trying to get this together. We've got, you know, when I talk to individuals, they like it. And then I go to another group and then the other group rides off. And I said, look, we've got this bill and we put it together. And it has kind of passed through all of you, but I can't get everybody signed on. I said, look, if we can't get you all together and signed on, I'm not going to introduce it. I'm out of here. And I was sort of angry, mad. And I said, look, I'm going to leave here. I've got another meeting. I'm going to come back in an hour and a half. I'm going to leave Bobby Silverstein here in charge. <laughs> and I'm going to come back in an hour and a half. And if you've all agreed by that point in time, we're going. If you can't, that's the end of it. And I stormed out of the room. Poor Bobby. I left Bobby there to run. <laughs> and, and sure enough, I came back about an hour and a half later. And uh, Bobby had pulled everybody together. Everybody agreed to sign off on it. And that's when we were able to move ahead with the bill. But, boy, I threw him into the lion's den. <laughs> there on that one but he used his skill set and um and uh, the fact that everyone knew that he was working in their best interest uh to get that done can i tell you one other story go for it sure bring it on well i called i just was on the phone with bobby uh just yesterday and uh reminiscing about this and that. You can go to YouTube and see my speech on the Senate floor uh, when we did it, and I did my sign language speech. Right. And Bobby is sitting right next to me there, Bobby and Katie Begg. So he had seen it, and he called me up. He said, do you remember that when the conference report came back, 
we were on the floor. You were supposed to be first up. And the Senate was called into session. And I was sitting there. And you were nowhere around. And Senator Kennedy was sitting back there. And he was getting a little anxious because you were the sponsor and you had to take charge of the floor and the minutes were ticking by and people would come up and say, where's, where's Harkin? Where's Senator Harkin? He said, finally, you showed up about 10 minutes later, something like that and took the bill and the rest is history of the past. He said, I didn't find out later where you were. He said, you were out in the hallway upstairs with my family, with Bobby's family, making sure they could sit in the gallery and not be taken out after, like, I think you could get 15 minutes or something like that in the gallery. Then you had to move out and let other people in. But I wanted them sitting there through the whole process. So I was up there making sure that the doorkeeper would not kick them out <laughs> after 15 minutes. So I was there. I was late for my own uh, <laughs> bill because I was keeping getting them in the in the Senate gallery. But I love Bobby Silverstein. He was just uh, uh, we, we couldn't have done it without him, Jim. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, he's a good friend and still a real advocate for people with disabilities. Yes, he is. Yes, yes, he, he certainly is. Well, Senator and Angie and and Paul and Alex. Thank you very much. Does anybody want to say anything before we close? Yes, yeah, Senator, thank you so much. You have no idea. It's awesome to speak with you and to talk with you. Thank you so much for making our, my life better uh, being a person with a disability for the last 27 years. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been a great honor and a great privilege of mine to be able to be here to do that. Thank you. I'll see you out in California. Where are you, where are you in California? I am in the Victorville area, so San Bernardino County. So if you are uh, on your way from LA, coming to Las Vegas, I'm right in the middle, right before you get to Barstow. Oh. I have a daughter that lives out there, but I, I'm not traveling now because of the stupid COVID. Yeah, no. Well, well, I, I tell you what, Senator, after COVID, you let me know next time you're out here in California and I'll take you out to the hood and get some good barbecue, okay? Right. <laughs> That's great. All right. And Angie, I'll see you out in Iowa sometime. Yes, I can't wait. All right. Well, I love to get in that video when you're signing on the Senate floor. I, I love that part. It's my favorite part of the video. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, thanks for mentioning so that. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. It was lovely chatting with you. By the way, on Sunday, I'm sorry to say, the Harkin Institute is sponsoring, I think it's right. ours, so it's a Sunday. You can get it on YouTube, I guess, or something. Yeah, we have it on our website. We sent, we, we yeah. pushed it out in our newsletter, too. Okay, good enough. All right, see you all. Absolutely. Bye -bye. You're listening to United on Wheels, the web's best podcast for active wheelchair users. Follow United Spinal Association on Facebook. Connect with United Spinal on Twitter via United Spinal. Visit our website, www.unitedspinal.org. United Spinal Association. Thanks for listening.